Hey, Spy5 fans, it's Zach here. And Christian. And we are bringing you a special bonus episode to celebrate our one-year anniversary. It's been one year. That's crazy. And what a crazy year it has been. Yeah, right. Through all of it. So yeah, so this episode was supposed to be part of our Cold War Spies series, but we had some technical issues with it, but which we were able to fix. And so this will be, yeah, a fun bonus episode, not on our regular schedule. Yes, it's called 13 Days, and it stars Kevin Costner, and we had a great time recording it. So thanks to everyone who's been listening for the past year, and enjoy. And hopefully you'll be listening for this year and many years to follow. You'll never believe how close we came. We are the Spy Fi Guys, and this is 13 Days. Welcome to the Spy Fi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And that was my attempt at a Boston accent to start off our episode. What did you think? It's a very good Kennedy Boston accent, which, like, I feel like they have their own specific accent, which, what's his name? Kevin Costner also gets in on a bit of that action, too. And his brother. So I guess they're all from the same part of Boston. So today we're going to be covering 13 Days, starring Kevin Costner, Bruce Greenwood, who we know and some younger people may know as Captain Pike from Star Trek Eleven. You mean Star Trek 2009? We're not going to get into this again, are we? I call it Star Trek Eleven. I don't care what anybody else says. <laughs> he also played the president in National Treasure 2, which I found hilarious. I okay. seeing him here. Yeah. The guy, who, whoever plays Bobby Kennedy, is spot on. Like Every time I looked at him, heard him, I was like, that's, that's RFK. Did they get a time machine to find out, get RFK to be in this movie? So 13 Days is going to be the start of a sort of four-part... Cold War retrospective. Uh, next week up, we'll have Dr. No, followed by Bridge of Spies, and finally, a more fictional take on the Cuban Missile Crisis, X-Men First Class. Yeah, Christian kind of had to twist my arm a little bit for that last one. <laughs> well, when we get to it in a few weeks, we'll see how much spy action there is in it. But for now, we're going to focus on 13 Days. Yes. So according to IMDb, here is the summary of 13 Days. In October 1962, the Kennedy administration struggles to contain the Cuban Missile Crisis. So let's just start off before this. Did, how much did you know about the Cuban Missile Crisis? I knew a decent amount because okay, earlier okay. that week, I listened to Hardcore History by Dan Carlin about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Not just that. He also did sort of everything leading up to it. Uh-huh. So I feel like I knew a decent amount, but I still learned stuff from watching the movie. All right, interesting. So <laughs> this is going to sound very silly, but other than, you know, brief mentions of history books, my big exposure to the Cuban Missile Crisis comes from a novel, which is actually the first part of a three-part series of books focused around Miss Money Penny. And uh-huh. in the book, her and the premise sounds ridiculous, but it makes sense when you're reading the book. Her and James Bond are actually go into Cuba before, ahead of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but it's really good, and actually takes there's a lot of detail into things like the person who wrote the book really researched it and the Cuban Missile Crisis, and like found places where they fit in, and that used like when they talk about XCOM and everything like that, it's all in the book. So I'm like, oh, I actually know some of this stuff. I'm not sure how much I like the idea of James Bond being like Forrest Gump crossed with Indiana Jones, <laughs> or he's tangentially related to historical events. This is the only one. So if if you go through the original Fleming novels, um, 62, basically right after, in well, in the novels, 60, 62 is the year that Honor Majesty's Secret Service, the novel, came out. And between there and the novel on uh, You Only Live Twice, there's a little gap in between. And so this fit slots right in perfectly in between those two. And this is really the only case where you really have it deal with real life events. Well, I want to know why they didn't get James Bond to kill Castro. <laughs> well, I mean, we can we can read the book and cover that later. So the movie starts off with a series of rocket launches and atomic explosions and mushroom clouds and more rocket launches. And it's basically this... It's a reminder of the sticks. Yeah, exactly. So it's a little bit boring that every movie or documentary about nuclear 
weapons starts with nuclear explosions. It's like such <laughs> it's such a trope, mm-hmm. but it's good to know. And so you know how we talked about this when during the spy you came in from the cold, mm-hmm. where I was like, this is just people in offices talking. Mm-hmm. It's boring. Mm-hmm. This movie is also a lot of people in offices talking. Yes, but yeah. the difference is that we know the stakes. True. It's not True. abstract concepts. It's not this guy talking to this guy who passed mm-hmm. money to there and did it for them. There's missiles in the in Cuba, and we got to deal with that. You know what I did find missing from this uh, intro, though? What's that? Anything that said based on a true story or inspired by a true story or anything like that. Yeah, good. That's how it should be. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's history. You don't need to say it. If you don't want to say based on a true story, then just don't say anything and let the audience draw their own conclusions. (laughs) All right. So we start off with, well, after all of the rocket launches, we go to a U-2 spy plane that's taking photos above what we later find out is Cuba. Yep. And it's in October 1962. Mm -hmm. And immediately, perhaps some of you, when you looked at the title of this movie, so what it is, you were like, why are you guys covering this on a spy podcast? Because there's no spies in this movie. And you there are, are some spies, yeah. That's, well, my understanding when I first learned that we were going to cover this was like, I don't see how it's a spy movie. Mm-hmm. Because it is about the policymakers. It's right. not about the spies. But in this part, we see that spies are not all James Bond or Ethan Hunt. Sometimes they fly airplanes. Yeah, and... I mean, surveillance photos are a very important part about espionage. And as we see here, had there not been someone taking these photos, we would have no idea this was happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we cut to uh, Kenny, who is played by Kevin Costner. uh, Kenny O'Donnell, who we later find out is a special assistant to the president. And his wife, Helen, getting their kids ready for school. He's, you know, testing his kids on who different members of the cabinet or the government are are and we learn a couple things so first of all i thought one of his kids was jake lloyd was it it's not oh it just, it just looks like him i mean because yeah. this is what said in what filmed in 2000 yeah so 1999 is, is episode one so if he if, could have been around the same age but it's it, but you said it's not <laughs> <laughs> okay so also kenny's like mean to his family <laughs> oh his wife is like struggling with like getting breakfast together with the kids and he's just reading the paper uh-huh. And then the, his kid tries to, like, like swindle him. Oh, right. Getting him to fill out a form, but it's actually a report card. Yeah, he's, he's the like, kid tries to pass later. it off as a permission slip. I don't think that's... I mean, come on. I mean, first of all, the kid... Yeah, the kid, do you see the grades the kid was getting? It was like Ds and C, and I think maybe one F. Okay, well, I do not have specifics to bag on my claim that he's mean to his family, but I think he was. I would say that the kid kid deserves a talking to if he's trying to swindle his, his dad into getting to sign off on a report card. Well, where do you think he learned it from? <laughs> so Kenny also has a totally over-the-top Boston accent that we mm-hmm. were making fun of earlier. And I've noticed, actually, as I, even if as I'm talking now, because I've been watching... This is a long movie. This is two hours, what, 25 minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. As I'm talking, I can sort of hear it coming out of my voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which I have a terrible habit of if I'm watching enough movies of certain accent, it'll come out a little, little bit. A little uh, bit. <laughs> yeah. When you read novels, do you ever start narrating your own life? No, but that would be entertaining. <laughs> I thought about doing like a stand-up comedy bit about that. Hmm. Where it's like when, when you're done reading, for example, and you get up, it's like, he walks slowly to the sink. <laughs> the edges scoured with dried fried food from before. He turned the water on. It was cool under his fingertips. You okay, really want well, to do this? No, but how much uh, Frank Miller have you been reading lately? It's not Frank Miller's not the only one who describes things. <laughs> no, but that just sounds like a Frank Miller kind of uh, narration. Anyway, so we we get the follow- them moving yeah. the picture. The picture. Yes. So they move this orange box into a government building. Do we know where this building is? It's called. Isn't it called like the National Photograph Interpretation Center or something okay, like that? So I didn't catch that. So I was hoping you did. Yeah. I don't know so, where it is, but hmm. that's what it's called. Yeah. When I first saw it, I thought they were moving it into the White House. I was like, no, that doesn't look like the White House. So, Mm-mm. so yeah. So they bring it in film from the U-2 spy plane, and they're bringing it into that place. Right. Where we get photographic interpreters 
mm-hmm. at work. So they have yep. these like crazy, complicated microscopes, <laughs> and they're and looking giant at the pictures. Magnifying glasses. Yes, and they see things that look like missiles. They're mm-hmm. like these long tubes on the ground. And so we also follow Kenny, and Kenny works at the White House and parks near the Eisenhower building and goes into the Oval Office, seemingly looking for the president, who at the time would be JFK. And he runs through some some, candy. Sorry to interrupt, but he steals some candy on his way, (laughs) leading to my earlier judgment that he's not the nicest guy around. (laughs) Uh huh. And so he's as he's running through the White House. So a little aside, but uh, you and I have been playing a bit of the game Division Two. Right. Just said in D.C. and your headquarters is the White House. And mm-hmm. so as we're run, he's running through, I was like, oh, I recognize these parts of the White House from our game. And seemingly, if I got the geography of it right, where our, you know, our clan's headquarters is, is set in like the president's bedroom. <laughs> nice. I'll have to go back and look. Yeah. Person he meets first is Jackie Kennedy. So I wasn't sure if this was Jackie at first until like until they mentioned that, you know, I need to see your husband. I was like. Because Jackie was a trendsetter in terms of style, so it could have just been someone who had that look. And they never even call her Jackie, really. I feel like they did, because uh, I never really had any doubt that that was okay. who she was. I, mean, I don't know. but So she's planning a party, so mm-hmm. like they got to get that figured out. And we get the impression through these scenes that what is on everybody's mind is JFK's re-election campaign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this would be because he got elected in what 1960, so 62 would be or 64 would have been re- his re-election. So 62, yeah, that's prime time to really start thinking about re-election. But this this is taking place in, in October 1962. Yeah, which means the elections are in November. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, our president, as we know from current events, our presidential cycle, and this will be coming around right around election, supposing that. Uh, our elections don't get delayed because of everything. Right. But that's true. That cycle takes like two years. Yeah. Well, in democracies, it's always election season. <laughs> true. True. This so is Kenny, steals, Kenny steals JFK's food, <laughs> even though he literally just had breakfast. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, I need to see the president now. And there's an off-handed mention of, of JFK and Kenny are talking about, look into that Vietnam thing. I'm like, what? I, mean, I was very curious what that was about. Well, Kennedy was involved with sending troops into Vietnam. Everyone from Eisenhower forward was. Hmm. True, true. In fact, I think he probably escalated it. So then we also have, who, was it Kenny who calls someone a worthless piece of shit and talks about how loyalty is what's the most important thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that was him. That was Kenny. So as this is happening, over in the uh, government facility uh, where they're analyzing the photos, they're going through all these through a binder with different Soviet missiles. And the one they mm-hmm. f- f- think matches up with what they see in those photographs is a surface-to-surface SS-4 Sandal missile. Mm-hmm. Just from my you know very limited knowledge, surface-to-surface means that it's launched from an area to hit another area, unlike surface-to-air, which is launched from the ground, hitting uh, something a target in the air. Yeah, which in the nuclear age, the surface-to-surface is what you need to worry about because they're mm-hmm. the ones you can't carry a nuclear warhead mm-hmm. and as we learned later these particular kinds of missiles can hit a lot of the united states mm-hmm. after after being launched in cuba yeah so after kenny's having that argument uh about loyalty jfk comes in and tells him you know you need to come into this briefing mm-hmm. and this is when we find out that yeah the, the photos are taken in cuba from a u2 and that the missiles if they are what they think are most likely soviet provided and then we get into the first of what, like, were they switching to black and white for no reason? Yes. Do we, do we have any reason for that? I feel like we could probably look it up and find out why. I wonder, my sort of theory uh-huh. that I didn't confirm is that the black in black and white, it's like everything is as was said. Hmm. That could be interesting. Like and it wasn't a screenwriter. Uh, characters. Yeah. yeah. I also quickly hear there's a part where Kennedy is like, he says something on the lines of, we got to get going, we got to get involved. He has a football and he puts the football down. The mm-hmm. camera's like, focus on the football. I wonder if that's a pun on like, you know, the nuclear, the nuclear football. football. <laughs> and then there's also where phone operators are going nuts. Mm-hmm. Over in the switchboard room, yeah. Yes. So then we get a briefing where they explain to our characters what's going on, mm-hmm. what these missiles are, what they can do. 80 million Americans are at risk. Kennedy's advisors are urging him to strike first before the missiles can become operational. 
Mm -hmm. And then we also find out that apparently the the uh, director of the CIA at the time, John McCone, is you know over in the West Coast burying his stepson. So that's why he's not at his briefing. I mean, that happens though. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm not saying he shouldn't should have been in the meeting. I'm just saying, wow, that's a terrible thing to have to you know be delayed by. Well, maybe, but I mean, yes, I mean, certainly yeah. that is true. But also with administrations with this many people, the likelihood that any one of them is out for any particular reason at any particular time is high. Yeah. So a couple of things about this scene is that, first of all, mm -hmm. the whole thing about the missiles being operational run reminded me of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Fully armed and operational battle station. <laughs> yeah. It's like that thing's operational. Everything's <laughs> And then uh, also, yes. You know, one more serious note though is that the, mm -hmm. the theme of the movie that we see right away is that this movie is not about America versus Soviet Union. It's about JFK versus all of these advisors. Yeah. So that 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 was what I found re like really interesting is that yeah that seemingly JFK and uh, Bobby and Kenny are really at odds with all the military people. Well, not just the military, the, the State Department. Mm -hmm. no. Yeah, the, the entire, yeah. The entire Pretty administration. Besides, like, uh, Bob McNamara, who's the Secretary of Defense. Mm -hmm. They don't think a diplomatic solution would work because the consequences would be too bad. Mm -hmm. Appeasement, and remember, this wasn't that long after World War II, so World War II memory is strong. And probably everybody there fought in World War II. Mm -hmm. They said appeasement makes the aggressor more aggressive. They think they can get away with more if you if you don't fight them. Yeah. And so we find out that there are, what, 30-odd missiles, as far as they can tell, and their range can go about as far north as D.C. Mm -hmm. And they'd have basically a five-minute warning before they hit. Right. Which is terrifying. When I heard that, I flashed back to, how like, was it last year when Hawaii had that... Uh, right. Uh, the missile, well, a missile alert, and it was like you have 15 minutes shelter in place. And of course, mm -hmm. it was, thankfully, thankfully, it was a false alarm. But just thinking, like, what would you like? What would you do in that little time that you have, five minutes or 15 minutes? Like, oof, yeesh. it's an incomprehensible situation to mm -hmm. imagine yourself in, and you wouldn't necessarily even be able to turn on the TV and look it up and turn on the news because the mm -hmm. news wouldn't necessarily be covering it. Right. Right. So also, the thing about the five-minute warning is how familiar are you with, like, nuclear strategy? <laughs> Not really. Go on. <laughs> okay. So, in the early... this is My source for this is Dan Carlin and the Hardcore History Podcast I mentioned before, as well as a sort of general reading. Okay. So, you have a nuclear bomb, right? And no one else does. You mm -hmm. can threaten them. You're the big guy. That's how it used to be. Now, you and your buddy, or you and your opponent, rather each have a nuclear bomb. Mm -hmm. And you think you're at parity, but you're like, wait a minute, I have a missile. If I hit his missile with my nuke, mm -hmm. I can disable it. Mm -hmm. And then I can hit him as much as I want. So he builds two in case you take out the one. Uh -huh. And then, so you build two so you can hit the two and then off you go. Mm -hmm. And people wonder why the U.S. had thousands and the U.S. and the Soviets had thousands of nuclear missiles each. That's mm -hmm. why. <laughs> it's to ensure that if you get hit, you can hit them back and therefore mutually assured destruction. Right. I've heard, have heard that term before, obviously. <laughs> but then this five minutes thing mm -hmm. is bad because if they can hit us before we have time to respond, we are helpless. Mm. Also, one last thing before we get back to the movie. Mm-hmm. Do you know how theorists determine who wins a nuclear war? No. It's how, it's whoever has the most missiles at the end is the winner. Uh, That's really that was my reaction too. Yeah, our audience can't see much of slack jawed <laughs> expression because I, I I was just kind of speechless for there for a moment. What does it matter if you have more missiles in the end if everyone's dead? <laughs> I know there has to. That was the way they determine it. Wow. All right. So back to the movie. So we have. Uh, JFK, Bobby, and Kenny t talking, uh, and they form the Executive Committee of the National Security Council, otherwise mm -hmm. referred to as XCOM. Right. And so they're talking about who to bring on into the committee, 
And we keep hearing again and again, the diplomatic route won't work. Mm -hmm. It'll be too slow. By the time we get it all done, the missiles will be operational. And once they're operational, we'll never be able to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. And then one person who they deliberately leave off out of XCOM is Pierre Salinger, who's the press secretary, which Mm -hmm. they say that basically, you know, if he knows, then everyone else will find out. I was like, wow, that's kind of terrible to think that your press secretary will leak something like that. I mean, that's his job, though. Yeah. Well, his job is also to disseminate information, but decide which information would be disseminated. Yeah, but why would you need the press secretary on this, like, super secret? Fair, fair. Planning committee anyway. He just tells you what you tell him to say. Okay. But something else I think we're going to keep seeing in this movie is that there's a lot of ego with all these people. True, true. And that people get bent out of shape and there are consequences if you don't loop them in on things. Yeah. So they talk about striking. Mm-hmm. Right? So we touched on this before. McNamara says, if we if we think we're going to strike, we all need to agree to do it now, mm. which is like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and then also they're like, well, an airstrike could take out the missiles, but it's only a short-term solution. Then we would need to invade. Mm-hmm. So they come up with the another option, which is blockading Cuba. Yes, which is so smart, except they can't call it a blockade because a blockade is an act of war. So they call it a quarantine, mm-hmm. which for as I was watching this, you know, quarantine in our day and age has brings up think, thoughts of other stuff as we're recording our current situation as we're all quarantined in our homes. <laughs> but so yes, yeah, so it's very I, interesting. I can't they got away with this. Yeah, well. <laughs> so there's also a couple of things. Again, we already touched on this. The Soviets, Dean Acheson, who I, isn't he the Secretary of State? It's hard to keep track of who everybody is. It's, there's a lot of people. Let me, let me, give me a sec. Let me pull it up. Sure. So you said he was a former Secretary of State. Okay, but he was involved. He said the Soviets only understand action and force. Mm-hmm. It sounds like Steve, something Steve from Munich would say. <laughs> They're like, you don't want to be weak. You don't want to be weak. And then Kennedy talks privately about the Bay of Pigs failure mm-hmm. and that it's like weighing which is absolutely true. So how much do you know about the Bay of Pigs? A little bit. Okay, but that's same here. I, I know that it was a failed coup attempt against Castro that was supported by the U.S. military, but of course there was actually not really any sort of militia that the uh, Cubans had formed up to oppose Castro. Well, that, so that's most of it. So yeah. It was organized and funded and trained by the CIA. It Mm -hmm, was made up of Cuban exiles, of which there are quite a few in the United States. Right. The goal was to overthrow the Castro regime. But the thing is, they went and attacked. And then when they went in, when they got in trouble, the U.S. military didn't jump in to help. Ah, okay. Like like they they didn't start bombing or Mm -hmm. support with ships or anything like that. Gotcha. These guys, the brass heads as Kennedy calls them, are like, mm. we should have gotten more involved because mm. it failed and it's really embarrassing. But something else, and this is something else I learned from the podcast, is mm. Kennedy felt like he got railroaded into it by mm. the CIA higher-ups. Yeah. They were like, it's going to be fine. It's going to work great. No Americans are going to get killed. You're going to. D- this thing's going to be gone, and everything's <laughs> going to be wonderful. Mm. And he's afraid of it happening again. Mm-hmm. Here. Uh, yeah, so we move on to Kennedy is meeting with some Soviet ambassadors. Before this meeting, we have, you know, we see Pierre Salinger and he's like wondering, he like, I keep hearing about, uh, some, you know, keep getting questions about military exercises we're doing in Puerto Rico. What am I being left out of the loop here? And he's like, which the answer is of course, yes, yes. but we can't <laughs> tell you that we are being left out of the loop. A couple of news reporters are asking questions to Kennedy. What's up with these exercises? You know, the operations Orts Ortsac, which is Castro spelled backwards, apparently. It's like really and come apparently on. yeah, so someone in the Pentagon came up with this and was like, come on, you gotta be smarter than that. So just a reminder, the exor- the exercises are really US preparing to either attack or to or either blockade. airstrike or yeah. blockade or invade Cuba. Because at this point, nothing was ruled out. Right, right. But for those of you who have played the video game Hearts of Iron, no, a military operation cannot happen overnight. <laughs> there is a lot of planning that needs to be done in order to pull it off. Yeah. So those Soviet ambassadors, as they're meeting with JFK, JFK pretty much flat out asks them, are there any missiles or anything in Cuba? And they deny it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're sort of jumping around a little bit because oh. with, with this movie, it doesn't yeah. have like the traditional three act structure. No, it's th- things just sort of happen, much like <laughs> in real life. So if we go back and forth, sorry, I did want to talk about Curtis LeMay. Okay. Do you remember Curtis LeMay? I he's do the not. Air Force General. Oh, right, right, right. The Air Force General. He's an old white wrinkly guy, of which there are many. <laughs> but he is the guy that who's the guy who played General Patton, George C. Scott. Hmm. George C. Scott's character in Dr. Strangelove is based on Curtis LeMay. Huh. Interesting. So, for those of you who've seen Dr. Strangelove, his character is the guy who's like the mineshaft gap guy. Basically, he's all about war, 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 got a bomb, a bomb, a bomb, mm-hmm. a bomb. He's based on Curtis LeMay. Hmm. So LeMay says, if we attack, the Soviets won't do anything, hmm. which is uh, a little bit much. Yeah. In the scene where we meet him, he's like physically aggressive. Hmm. Do you remember this part? He's like walking towards Kennedy mm-hmm. and then Kenny steps in, steps like between them. Right. Yeah. So there's a little yeah. bit of like machismo <laughs> going on. More than a little. <laughs> yeah. So, so yes, there's the confrontation with the Soviet ambassador. And then basically throughout the beginning is we need to, Kennedy needs to make a decision about what to do, whether you attack right. now or not attack. That's where the tension sort of comes in. Mm-hmm. GFK is going to a campaign event in Chicago. Mm-hmm. What I noticed was they have, you know, was I guess this was just sort of a regular occurrence to him is to have, you know, the open car motorcade. And you see JFK in a motorcade and, you know, open convertible. And you just think about mm-hmm. the assassination. Yeah. So it, I'm sure there was intentional evoking that imagery there just as he's going through Chicago. Pretty much once they get to Chicago, Kenny gets a message from RFK saying, you know, we've got a consensus for the blockade, which they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And But it's only it's not going to last long, and JFK needs to come back to D.C. to right. start everything off. Yep, so he comes back and he says he has a cold. It's <laughs> like, what? Yeah, so they have the press, seter- press secretary tell everyone he's got a cold, so he's cut on his doctor's advice, he's cutting his, short tr- his trip short. Where they explain yeah. that the quarantine is so that it's not an act of war against Cuba. Mm-hmm. There to sort of prevent more missiles from getting to Cuba or any other sort of troop movements. Mm-hmm. And at this moment, this is when Adelaide Stevenson, who is... The U.S. representative to the United Nations. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. He proposes someone's got to be the coward in the, in the room and mm-hmm. make this proposal what if we do a deal we yeah. pu- we pull our m- missiles out of turkey in exchange for the missiles in cuba That's and of course you're... everyone hates it right well for those of you who know your history that's what exactly what they end up doing mm-hmm. but the thing is in that moment watching the scene i mm-hmm. felt like the guys actually made a pretty decent point against mm-hmm. the deal yeah yeah and we'll see when it come to the end how they pull off that deal and make it so that it, the u.s doesn't look weak when it happens Right. I was going to say, again, at this point, they bring up the World War II analogy that mm-hmm. you can't appease a dictator. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the movie, they talked about how uh, Kennedy's father, Joe Kennedy, was in charge of something in Munich during the World War II. Do we? They kept mentioning Munich, and I know it's not you know, related to the Munich bombing. So what, what do you know what that was a reference to? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I, I do know that Joe Kennedy was involved in some shady stuff, and that was mm. how he made his fortune. Mm-hmm. But this, the whole thing about Munich, I, I didn't know that. And I do appreciate when there's, like, references to things. And they don't spell it out explicitly. <laughs> right. As long as it's not character stuff, like what we talked mm. about in Munich, which right. it was not here. So. so we cut to a party at the White House, the party that uh, Jackie was planning before. During this party, Kenny confronts Adelaide, and Adelaide knows that, you know, or believes very strongly that Bobby and uh, JFK want to pull him out of his position and put someone else in. And he also gives Kenny a heads up that some of the papers have the story and they're going to run with it. That's right. And this is the point where he says, please hold the story to save lives. Yeah. So JFK, so one of them, I, one of the, there were two different papers who had the story. One of them, was willing to go along with it when you're covering it until until it came out you know from the present the other one i don't remember what the name of the paper was jfk had mm-hmm. to sort of lean on him and you know really make a call directly to the editor to say you know hold it at least until i can make my statement so that's something in the past that the government and the news media had a more they had a friendly relationship 
Yeah, I would say, yeah. We do. And I'm not just talking about any particular president or mm-hmm. administration right, right. in general. So, like, yeah. you've probably heard those stories about how the president, about how FDR would work together with the newspapers to make it seem like he wasn't dying of polio. Hmm. Actually, I hadn't heard of those. Interesting. Okay. So, I'll tell you a little. So, he had polio, so he really couldn't right. walk or stand very well. So, what they would do is they take a picture when he'd arrive somewhere, they'd take a picture of him in the car. He'd be like, mm-hmm. hey, He'd get out of the car, get into his wheelchair, mm-hmm. go up to the front of the building, stand up. They'd take the wheelchair out. They'd take a picture of him standing in front of the building, get back in the wheelchair. He'd huh. go in. They'd print the story. Mm. Interesting. So they, they were basically all in on it. Right, right. You um, would not be able to do that today. No way. Yeah. Uh, it actually brings to mind, I don't know if you've seen The Crown. I've never seen any of The Crown. Okay, well, there's a, early on, there's an instance where... Uh, I think, yeah, the newly crowned Queen Elizabeth and I think he wasn't even a prince. He was just the Duke of Edinburgh at that time. were mm-hmm. like having this marital spat and there happened to be reporters nearby with a camera and they had started recording it. And then they actually willingly gave up the film saying public doesn't need to see the queen arguing with her husband. It's <laughs> like, definitely a more innocent time. Mm-hmm, yeah. In a lot of ways. But anyway, so the journalist agrees to do it. Mm-hmm. And then in the next scene, it's another military briefing mm-hmm. where they explain to Kennedy, we can hit 90% of the missiles <laughs> that we know about. Mm-hmm. Is it at this time where we find out there's actually 40 missiles and not 30 something? Yeah, somewhere somewhere yeah. around here yeah. we find out. So with nuclear stuff, <laughs> 90% is not good enough, mm, let alone no. 90% of what we know about. Yeah. Because all you need is one missile and it's literally the end of the world. Mm-hmm. The military goes up to DEFCON 3, and then JFK is about to address the nation. Mm-hmm. But before the, he addresses the nation, he has his heart-to-heart with Kenny, and they're talking about... He's basically like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm, like, yeah. freaking out, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talking about their feelings. And then Ke- Kennedy goes on TV, makes a speech, mm-hmm. explains what's going on finally Yeah. to everybody. S- says that there's missiles in cuba and that the initial steps would include a quarantine blockade continued surveillance of all soviet military buildup and readiness and that any missile launch is uh, from cuba will be regarded as an attack from the ussr against the united states of america yeah but he actually the real kennedy said it even more forcefully i think than bruce greenwood did he's like we'll consider it as an attack he like kind of said it like right or that's just his accent (laughs) No, I don't think so. Well, <laughs> this is significant because, like, in North Korea today, mm-hmm. North Korea will shoot missiles into the sea. Mm-hmm. But Cuba wouldn't be able to, if Cuba did that. Yeah. And when he says an attack by the Soviet Union, he is talking about nuclear war. Mm-hmm. We see real footage of Americans back then watching mm-hmm. the TVs, which yeah. I liked. That's cool. Which, yeah, I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And so after the speech, Kenny is, I think he's in the bathroom and he meets with uh, Ted Sorensen, who's another who's special counsel to the president, who's the one who wrote the speech. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kenny's complimenting Ted on the speech and says, I can't imagine having to write, you know, the version with the airstrikes. And Ted says, I couldn't. I tried, but mm-hmm. I just couldn't imagine that speech and how it, w- it would go. Right. So, again, we're reminded of the stakes, mm-hmm. which, is, which is necessary for a movie that's mostly people talking. <laughs> So they're like, okay, so what's going to happen now that we have the quarantine? Well, the answer is they're going to try to run the blockade. Mm-hmm. And then you might be in a position where you might have to fire on Soviet ships. Kennedy says there's no shooting without my explicit orders. <laughs> and then the planes cannot be fired on it either. Yeah. And so we get we actually get a And before this, we get the response to uh, from the Soviets to the speech on the mm-hmm. teletype, which is a... Uh, basically, a, devi- a, a device that you you can use to receive and send type messages right. uh, between Soviets and the U.S. government. And so they pair, they start running low-level flights over Cuba to get better surveillance. Yeah, so another thing about these planes, mm-hmm. this part is crazy to me, was when, I think it was Kenny, is like, the planes are a setup. The Joint Chiefs know that if they fly the planes, the planes mm-hmm. will be fired on. And if the planes mm-hmm. are fired on, the Kennedy will have to defend them. Quote, they want a war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just like the Bay of Pigs, and it's just like the board game Twilight Struggle. 
you're right <laughs> I've not played that. So no. if you like history, if you like the Cold War, I would very uh-huh. much recommend it. I don't play uh, it very much because it's a one v one. But one of the things, one of the points that they make about it is you can take risks with the DEFCON levels. Mm-hmm. So if you hit DEFCON one, it's nuclear war and it's game over. But right. you can be in a position without even meaning to where you get forced, you get, you get railroaded just like Kennedy in the movie mm-hmm. into something that you can't back out of. Boxing in JFK with their rules of engagement and retaliation and that basically yes. they're trapping him so that whatever action he has, he takes, he's going to end up in a war. That's right. They want to go to war. Mm-hmm. So we also have a great scene where Kenny recruits <laughs> Margaret mm-hmm. for her tone of voice. Yeah, so Margaret works for, in the White House switchboard, mm-hmm. and she's got a very sort of aggressive tone of voice. Yeah, I was hoping she'd be in the movie a lot more. Yeah, she's not really only this one thing. So she, yeah, he recruits her t- to make a call to the commander of the low-level flight that it's going through, and so she puts him through to Kenny, and Kenny orders the command the, the skipper that he will not be shot down. You know, you can crash in the mountains, but you will not be shot down. And the pilot's like, I don't understand. What are you you talking about? And so he spells it out. If you're shot at, the president will have to retaliate to protect the American people. Mm -hmm. And that ends with nuclear war, basically. Right. So not only can he not be shot down, but he can't be shot at at all. Mm -hmm. So this whole part reminded me of Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it. It was great. So I looked up Joe Kennedy. Apparently, mm-hmm. he was the ambassador to the United Kingdom for a while. Uh-huh. He was the chairman of the U.S. Maritime Commission and the SEC chairman. So it seems like he was very involved with, like, government. Okay. So I presume all that stuff about Munich is a reference to it. We get the flight. So they're, they're taking a... When they said low level, I didn't think they meant, like, what? You know, 40 or 50 feet off the... Off the... <laughs> off the ground that's low it was very low level and i was impressed and for a second i thought i could i forgot when this film was made so i didn't remember you know it was like i wonder how they did it if they actually flew this place oh no this is the this is the era of cg well at least start of cgi and also models so it didn't it, look like cgi to me no it didn't look like cg but maybe model work and matting but it looked mm-hmm. great. i was i was impressed by it this part and one other part is like the only action in the movie so <laughs> Better enjoy it. Not that we were really expecting a lot of action yeah. at this one anyway. And so as they're going up, the skipper tells his his wingman, he's about to tell him, you know, that we're not to get, he's like, never mind, just follow my lead. Hand signals only, no radio contact. Mm-hmm. And so as they're flying, they get spotted by some sh- soldiers, get shot at, and, but they manage to, you know, they do some very nice maneuvering and get away and back to base. Get some really good pictures. Mm-hmm. Not just missiles, but also anti-aircraft guns mm-hmm. and trucks and so on all in cuba and then when they get back they're like well were you fired on and the captain says no we just hit a lot of sparrows <laughs> to which the those engineer, 20 or 30 20 or 40 caliber sparrows yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's an example of the level of secrecy being involved and and this is something we're going to see again later is that the military hates being involved in political mm-hmm uh, pissing matches, <laughs> power struggles, whatever euphemism you want to use, the military yeah. doesn't like being involved in the middle <laughs> of it. What I also liked on these planes was that, I don't know if this is historically accurate or not, but about right up next to where the camera on the plane is, it says, smile, you're on candid camera. Yeah, I have no idea whether it's accurate or not. But I but like it that. was funny. <laughs> yeah. It, it shows, it's a military sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... After he gets back, um, the skipper calls Kenny. Kenny, not Kennedy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just to be clear, since I wasn't enunciating. Um, that the jo- Joint Chiefs has asked him to deliver the film to them personally. Yes. And Kenny means, okay, they want to know, they're going to want to know if you, get sh- if you got shot at. They want to start a war. And so yeah. he goes over. And when the Joint Chiefs interview him, they say, he says, you know, it was a cakewalk. There was nothing. Yeah, he lies yeah. to his own superiors. <laughs> and then meanwhile, we get the Organization of American States involved. Yeah, so how much do you know about the OAS? Nothing. Okay, so they are basically, it's it's a UN-style organization. So I did, uh, in college, I did model OAS. Okay. Uh, which was interesting. And so it's, yeah, it's similar to the United Nations where, you know, they're meeting, but they're specifically 
of countries in the Americas. So you're, you know, U.S., Canada, and South American countries, Central American countries. Mm-hmm. So which, of course, would in- involve Cuba. Well, actually, at, start, at some point, and I don't remember my history on this, they, Cuba actually got kicked out of the OAS. I see. Well, I'm sure they would say that just proves the OAS is a puppet of the United States. <laughs> but yes, so the OAS takes a vote, and it is a unanimous, which the OAS, you know, I think JFK, someone says that OAS votes are never unanimous, and that is at least from my experience with model OAS. Yeah, not completely true. They're never unanimous. Well, especially the Soviets were very involved mm-hmm. in South and Central America, and they would become even more so after this takes place. So it's pretty amazing diplomatic feat that they were able to do it. Yeah. But they needed to do it in order to give the blockade legitimacy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the U.S. doing whatever it wants. Right, right. So then in the next part, the U.S. tests a nuclear device. Yeah, a hydrogen bomb in the South Pacific. Which JFK didn't, you know, didn't authorize, but some and someone did. Mm -hmm. And of course, JFK is pissed when he finds out about it. Well, I mean, it it looks like the U.S. is escalating Mm -hmm. and And flexing its muscles. Yeah. (laughs) And this is when we get the first mention of this book, uh, The Guns of August. Yes. Have you read this? I've read it. I've heard about it, but never actually read it. It's good. It's about the early days of World War One. The the first month, hence the name. Yeah. And Kennedy talks about it in the movie, but he talks about all the alliances that the reason, I mean, this is fairly common knowledge. The reason why World War I began was because Archduke Franz Ferdinand was shot by a Serbian nationalist. That caused Austria and Serbia to go to war. And then everybody was allied with one with side or the else. other. Yeah. But it's more than that. It mm. isn't just the alliances. It's also that France had a plan to attack Germany and Germany had a plan to attack <laughs> Russia and Britain mm. had a plan to attack Germany, too. And then, of course, Russia had a plan to attack Austria, whatever. Mm-hmm. So then when the war started, the plans just went. They just did it. And wow. that is why in the early days of World War II, you have these things of thousands of men attacking a heavily fortified position and just dying. Mm-hmm. Because they were using old plans. Right. And the plans just went. Mm-hmm. And nobody stopped to think about maybe this isn't such a good idea. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it very much relates to this. Yeah. And so next we get a scene of Kenny and his wife and like mm-hmm. his wife wondering or talking on the phone and like, his wife's wondering, you know, what happens to me and our five kids, right. which, you know, Kenny talks to uh, RFK about this and is like, yeah, that's, I'm getting some it's a relevant question. They'll be getting identity cards and be evacuated in Mount Weather. And so they'll be safe. But. Not, it's not. He's not going to be with his family if anything happens, because he'll get evacuated with the president. Yes, that's right. So, of course, his family, if they went to war, his family would die. But of course, well, I'm yeah. not, I don't really blame him for not telling them that. Because they also, well, they mentioned that, like, you know, all that would take 20 minutes, all the evacuation mm-hmm. and identity cards, whereas, you know, they'll only have really five minutes. They'll probably have less than that, yeah. because as we see in the movie, it takes time to communicate relevant information to the people who need to know mm-hmm. it. So, so Kenny hangs up and he revealed that he doesn't actually want to go home. Mm. Like Bobby's mm. like, you can go home. Nothing's going on. And Kenny's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And this is where we really start to get. So the countdown to the start of the blockade. Mm-hmm. And we get to see people starting to think that they're going to be war. So mm-hmm. much like in 2020, we see people stockpiling groceries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Walter Cronkite on TV telling people what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then a scene at a church where they have 24-hour confessions. Right. And so we see Kenny, you know, pass by it. And presumably he's, you know, Boston Irish Catholic. So he goes in. Mm-hmm. The first two ships who are uh, trying to pass the blockade. Yes. Instead, we also find there's a Russian sub there, right. which is protecting the freighters. So this, That's of course, is like the hunt for Red October. Mm-hmm. Also, someone says at this point, the, the Barganon and Kamask. Are those the two ships? Are those are the ships. He said, our first customers. I was like, you're so close <laughs> to saying our first catch of the day. Why don't you just uh... <laughs> Kennedy goes around Admiral Anderson. Mm-hmm. Admiral Anderson's trying to get involved with telling his sailors what to do, but Kennedy is not having it. And then Kennedy says, force the sub to surface. Yeah. And I have written down here, some exciting shit. (laughs) So I was, so yeah, so we start, we start to see, 
you know, they're going to launch a missile into into the water and we see, you know, soldiers. First of all, my first thought was like, there's got to be a more efficient way to have, like, okay, maybe you don't want to have the tubes loaded all the time, but still, that something that takes, what, look like 10 men to load the missile into the tube. Well, it also reminds me of the part in The Wrath of Khan. I know this, uh, they're coming fast and fast and furious with these science fiction references. <laughs> the part where they're loading the photon torpedo and it's, it takes mm-hmm. like 15 guys to do right, it. Right, right. Yeah, that makes no sense. Well, I think it's so it doesn't get accidentally fired. Yeah, okay. It does. Yeah, and I, I realize that after the fact. But in the moment, I'm like, it seems like they should be more efficient than that. It also but looks awesome. It does look, it's very cinematic, which is cool. Oh, yeah, big time. But as they're loading it and they're about to fire, then we get word that the Russian ships are stopping. Some are turning around. Yeah. The Soviets blink. Mm-hmm. And so they, like, stop them from actually, you know, firing on that sub. Because that would, again, what this seems like is this a series of almost, like, if something one thing had gone wrong, mm-hmm. and we, we could have gone to war. And it's just that tension, which... Mm-hmm. You know, as with everything we're going through, it's a different sort of tension, but it's almost in, in the way probably the closest we'll get to feeling that sort of tension of is everything going to end? Yeah. 20 ships yeah. stop mm-hmm. the blockade, but not all of them do. No, six are continuing for the line and they are just saying, OK, what are we going to do? So they just, you know, are we going to try to turn them back now? But apparently at least a day or two before they get anywhere closer to the line. It's like, just when you think it's over, <laughs> there's more. So they let those ships go for now. And then we cut back to the Oval Office, and somehow their nuclear forces are at DEFCON 2 without JFK knowing. And he's like, I don't remember ordering DEFCON mm-hmm. 2. Did I get am- amnesia? I remember going to DEFCON 3. Right. Once again, his administration are trying to go around him to signal escalation. Mm-hmm. They talk again about pulling out of Turkey. Someone says we're dead politically if we do, because we'll we're selling out our allies in order mm-hmm. to save ourselves. JFK and RFK end up doing is they leak that idea to a paper so they can the paper can publish it as an editorial from the editor or a letter to the editor. Yeah. So then next we have Adlai Stevenson's battle at the United Nations. Mm-hmm. Zorin, who is the Soviet ambassador to the UN is plastering them and mm-hmm. disparaging everything that the US is doing, call it basically saying this is an act of American aggression and this is America's mm-hmm. war, not you know, not ours. Well and, he says he says we want evidence. Yeah. Because there are missiles there, which is actually not that unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Except and it means it would mean revealing classified stuff. Mm-hmm. And so GFK tells Kenny that Adelai has got to stick it to them. Mm-hmm. And so we get this great scene with well, and everyone's and because because Adelai had you know floated that idea about Turkey at first, everyone's thinking he's too weak, he's not going to do it. They think basically think that he's you know washed up, and yeah. they want to I mean, pull. Yeah, uh, RF Bobby wants to pull him and put in someone else, and it's like no, you, you we can't pull him this late in the game. It all it will make us look even weaker. Right. So he gets a great speech. Mm-hmm. Where he, you know, basically he asks, because apparently Zor- Ambassador Zorin, you know, a day before had he had said the USSR yeah. is not in Cuba. Yeah, and so he Adelaide straight out asks him to his face, "Do you deny that they're placed and placing missiles? Don't wait for the translation again." Yeah, Star I mean, Trek that reference. The, that was the big part. Everybody laughs. <laughs> Zorn's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. Okay, okay. Adlai says, we'll wait here all day. Mm-hmm. People laugh again. So did it's, you remember that part from uh, Star Trek 60 Undercovered Country? Don't wait for the translation. No. Uh, it's that, it is a reference to this. Okay. When uh, Kirk and uh, McCoy are on trial. Oh, and yeah. uh, what's his name? Guy with the Klingon with the eye patch is like saying, do you know these charges? Don't wait for the translation. Yep. So once I heard that, I was like, that's immediately where my brain went to. Okay. (laughs) Again, they're coming at us with all these references, which is, I mean, obviously, all these things are references to these actual events. Yeah. I mean, you can make a reference to real life and people appreciate it, but that's why people tune in so we can pick up the references that you don't. (laughs) So then the Grozny is a Soviet ship mm-hmm. that they're intercepting. It managed to pass the line. Well, like they lost track of it. And when they re- reacquired it, mm-hmm. acquired where it was, it had passed the line. Admiral is trying to engage, 
torch with the Grozny, and yes. he's ordering like fire and McNamara. Mm-hmm. So I guess we kind of skipped over the fact that uh, the Kennedys put it, put Bob McNamara over at the mm-hmm. Pentagon to oversee everything. Right. So as this is going on, he overhears this and is like, wait, what are you doing? Why are you firing on this ship? Yeah. He has like this whole speech, which I thought was a little bit dramatic, but whatever. We find out that he's they're firing starburst flares over it as yeah a warning, but, but still <laughs> yeah no it's a it's it's McNamara has a point. He's like you know what if they make the same mistake that I did and they don't know that you're firing flares and they just see you firing at us and then we get into a war exactly and it's like Kennedy has explicitly said no firing upon ships without his approval. It's mm-hmm. like, we're not firing up at the ship. We're firing above the ship. It's like, that's... that's <laughs> yeah, that's can't trust anybody. We see, again, just how much the brass heads wanted a war. And how close we came to it, terrifyingly. Yeah. Yeah. So then next we have Alexander Foreman. Yes. Foreman, who is the highest ranking Soviet spy in the United States. So for those of you who wanted spy stuff, here we go. So uh, Foreman... Apparently reached out to... Do we know who this guy was from ABC? I guess he's the head of the network or something. Something like that, yeah. A journalist is all yeah, I have on him. Reached out to a journalist who knows that who knows Kenny. And so they're just trying to use the back channels, basically. Yes. Um, to, to sort of float a deal. But here's the thing. The Americans only give the, the Soviets 48 hours to get back to them. And... They float the idea that maybe Khrushchev, who is the premier of the Soviet Union, has his own hardliners pushing him to be stronger. And they also don't know whether this is an actual offer from Khrushchev, is it from the Politburo, is it from the KGB itself? And so yeah. uh, what I liked here was Kenny. So what, what do we know about Kenny's background? Because it says, you know, go back, maybe he has some sort of FBI background? I, I think they may have mentioned that he was involved with them somehow. Yeah. The only thing they make clear in the movie is that I think he went to school with the Kennedys and mm. is from the same area of mm-hmm. Boston. Right. Kenny goes over to FBI and he pulls Foman's file and pulls Khrushchev's files and see, do they know each other? And, you know, they eliminate, okay, they didn't grow up in the same area, they didn't go to the same school, but they're old war buddies, basically. But... It's sort of tangential, circumstantial evidence. Yes. That, but it's enough to convince Kenny that, uh, and to tell Kenny, to have Kenny tell JFK that they know each other. Yeah, it's something to go on. It's not perfect, but mm-hmm. they have a chance to make it work. So then next we have a U2 flight, mm-hmm. which is heavily telegraphed that something is going to go wrong. <laughs> Kenny yeah. has a long conversation with the with the pilot. But long story short, U2 goes in, it gets fired on by multiple missiles, mm-hmm. explodes, the pilot dies, and now we have a problem. This is something that the Dan Carlin podcast said. I don't think the movie made it clear enough mm-hmm. that Kennedy made red lines, remember the term red line, mm-hmm. was if Americans get killed. Right, right. So now that American has been killed, the pressure to escalate is extreme. Mm-hmm. But Kennedy defies the chiefs again. Yeah. During this time, yeah, also we found out there's a, a, another U-2 plane that got lost over Siberia. Mm-hmm. It got lost and the you know Russians attacked it, thinking it was a bomber. This other pilot got away, though. Yeah, but at, at the point is another near mess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kenny goes to see his son play football briefly. And his son asks, is, is everything okay? Is that, It'll be fine, son. Like, all right, I don't know what the point of that scene was really, other than just maybe show, not very effectively, but to try to show how the tension everyone is under. I think it's showing Kenny's growth as a character, that before he was mean to his family, and now he's nice <laughs> to them. I don't think he was that mean to his family. Well, okay, if you don't like the term mean, maybe short. Eh, okay, maybe. Maybe terse, impatient, if you'd like. So we get back, we're talking to XCOM. Bobby is like, we could do this trade after a trade. So we'll promise to remove the missiles after six months. Mm-hmm. Everyone full will forget that we made the deal. <laughs> so we don't look bad. Mm-hmm. But the problem is they could hit us first. Right. And so this deal only work, basically. I think it's Bob McNamara who brings it up that this is only going to work if 
they think we're gonna, about to hit them hard. So Kennedy's like, okay, here's the plan. Bobby, you go and make the offer. Monday, we go to war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so RFK is going to deliver the message. Mm-hmm. And as they're driving to... So here's... I feel like I should know this, but where is the Attorney General's office? I don't know. Okay. Because at first, I thought they were driving to the Soviet embassy to meet at the, the Soviet embassy. I think there's a part where they drive by the they Soviet embassy. They do drive by it. Yeah. So Kenny is driving him. And <laughs> so... So what I was things... like, I also thought they went to the Soviet embassy yeah. directly. I was like, what kind of back channel negotiation is that? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that watching this movie with all the terrible, not terrible, but with all the accents, mm-hmm. it reminded me of the Super Bowl commercial with Smart Park. Yeah. Big and time. there's a there's a part where Kenny says the, the word smart part. And I definitely <laughs> thought he said smart park. Smart, smart park. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think the director should have told him to tone down the accents a little bit. Well, like like I said, I appreciated JFK's was subtler. Yeah. Kenny's is really Kenny's is the one that's cartoony. Yeah. Bobby's, it sounds like Bobby, so it's perfect. Uh-huh. It's really just it's really Kenny's accent. Kevin Costner should have worked harder on getting his accent for Robin Hood. Where is Ke- <laughs> Where is Kevin Costner from? I don't know. I think he's from the US. Where exactly? Because it would be terrible if he actually was, you know, from that Massachusetts. Uh, come on. Actors are trained to do all sorts of crazy accents. Some trained better than others. Stop mm-hmm. talking about anybody in particular. Hmm. Uh, he's from California. Oh, yeah, of course he is. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, back to the movie. So we so see. Pass by the embassy. And you see smoke coming out of the chimney. And they're, yeah, right. so they're burning all classified materials as if they were going to war. Yep. They get to where they're going. Robert Kennedy's like, I don't know if I can do this. Mm-hmm. He goes in, and I was like, "Oh my god, are they? Are we? They're not going to show us the discussion between <laughs> Bobby and yeah. the Soviet ambassador." Is Kennedy or Kenny? I keep that. That, that is terrible. <laughs> that their name, the names are so close. But Kenny is waiting outside, so he doesn't get to go in. Yeah, and, and he he annoys the people around him with his whistling. <laughs> and he sees this woman who's waiting outside. Who she he sees he notices a Soviet pin on like her collar and. She, yeah, And I thought they were going to have like some sort of deep conversation about, you know, how both sides don't want to go to war or something. But no, it just amounts to nothing. Yeah, like what was up with that? <laughs> we do see those. After that, we see the negotiation. Bobby, you know, gives them the terms. Is There won't be a quid pro quo, but we can give you this private assurances about the Jupiter missiles in Turkey. That yeah. they're, you know, outdated. We're due to be decommissioned in six months. Right. But he also but, says the U.S. Yeah. can't agree to remove them under threat. True. And that if you publicize any of this, we will go back on this deal. So do you like the use of quid pro quo in this scene? <laughs> I didn't notice it until I read those words in my notes and I thought about it. <laughs> I mean, they weren't exactly as loaded a term then as they are now. Right. And maybe they won't, maybe nobody will remember it by the time this episode comes out. Who knows? We'll see. That's the, that's the interesting thing about recording in advance. <laughs> right. So not only can you not tell anybody, but we need an answer by tomorrow. Yeah. Well, he says that he can tell, basically, like, he can tell President Khrushchev, a Soviet, a Premier Khrushchev, rather. Mm-hmm. He can tell, he can tell whoever he feels fit to, as long as it's not leaked, told to the general public. We're waiting for the Soviet response. Yep. And again, it's that all that tension that the world is. I mean, I guess the world, the world in general, doesn't know that we're waiting for this response, but they know that there's tensions ramping, and the particular people who are in the know have even more tension because they're just waiting. Because basically, if this fails, then we're going to war. And so Kenny's, you know, actually goes home. He is in bed and has nightmares of mushroom clouds again. It's like the part in Terminator 2, Judgment Day, <laughs> where he envisions it. But then we get the notice, yeah. that the Soviets agree, and then mm. there's a big, everybody has a big party. Mm-hmm. Pilots celebrating, the administration piloting. We don't get a, a scene where Kennedy goes up to every member of the Joint Chiefs and was like, in your face, <laughs> in your face, in your face, in your face. We also get a scene with Kenny and his family, and Kenny's like, he's shaken, but he's mm-hmm. like t- crying tears of relief. Mm-hmm. One of Kennedy's administration says, "Bring on those midterms." Which, so I guess that answers the question of what you know what they were campaigning for as midterms. Yes, and also that things are back to normal. Yeah, I didn't complete the line because I missed it in my notes. Bring on those midterms. There's no stopping us now. 
Oh, and, do you think that's supposed to be like prescient? Maybe, or I feel like that's probably a line like that. That's probably something that's actually f- true. But I liked what Kennedy said in response. He's like, I don't think we should be gloating. This is as much a victory for them as it is for us. You can gloat when a mutual victory. Yeah. Whatever. Shows that he sort of realized the weight of everything, really. Yeah. So he also, in that same scene, he makes a speech to everyone. He's like, thank you for working so hard for everything mm-hmm. you did. And it shows all these people. And one of them is this woman mm-hmm. who's like featured prominently. Were we supposed to know who she is? Never noticed, no. Okay, I was just found that a little bit confusing. Yeah. Afterwards, in a more solemn note, JFK is sending a message to the family of the pilot, YouTube pilot who was shot down. Mm-hmm. We see a missing man, like you know, people doing a flyover with a missing man formation, and then we get the real JFK speech about mm-hmm. you know peace in our time, right? Or not just peace in our time, but peace in all time. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. And with that, the movie ends. Well, there's just one last thing about men of goodwill are the reason why the sun. Keeps oh, right. That's up. yeah. With of Kennedy. course, a more cynical person would say it's not men of goodwill that keeps the sun coming up. It's men who are ultimately self-interested. <laughs> That's the nature of the nuclear dichotomy. Mm-hmm. All right. So should we move into spy fact for spy fiction? Yeah, I have a couple things. I know okay, you have I've got things one too. thing. Okay. Is that some, uh, this is from Wikipedia, uh, which has various sources for that says that you know some of the Kennedy administration who were actually there kind of <laughs> didn't like how Kenny uh, O'Donnell was the basically the main character and motivator mm-hmm. and actually Bob McNamara gave a quote to PBS NewsHour saying for god's sake Kenny O'Donnell didn't have any role whatsoever in the missile crisis he was a, a political appointment secretary to the president that's absurd yeah i guess the idea is that he works as like an audience insert character yeah mm-hmm. Well, you can do things like his relationship with his family that I don't think people like Robert McNamara would be very comfortable doing about that. Right, right. And apparently, so that a lot of the duties that O'Donnell or the Kenny had in the film were actually closer to what Ted Sorensen did. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. we only really see the one scene with Ted Sorensen when after you know after the speech was made. I wonder if the real life Kenny wrote like a book or something and then they just took everything from the book and made it into a movie. Yeah, it was based on a book called The Kennedy Tapes Inside the White House During the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yep. So speaking of Kennedy Tapes, that was what yeah. I was going to say for our spy fact versus fiction is mm-hmm. Kennedy, sort of like Richard Nixon, mm-hmm. recorded the conversations in the Oval Office and in conference rooms mm-hmm. and in the XCOM room and so on, which is how we know so much about what we know. Interesting. But well, what happened was he would talk to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh-huh. This is also from Dan Carl's bias. He was talk, talk to the Joint Chiefs, and then he would leave, and then they would start talking smack about him, and he huh. would be recording them. <laughs> So, as you could sort of glean from watching the movie, they were openly contemptuous of Mm. him. Thought he was weak, thought that the Soviets were going to walk right over him, that he didn't know what he was doing, that he was Uh too young and inexperienced to do a good job, etc., etc. Interesting, interesting. All right, uh, well, that's all I've got. Do you have anything else for Spy Fact for Spy Fiction? I don't. Okay, so let's move into our favorite quotes. Mine is from the sort of beginning of the movie, which we kind of, we didn't skip over, but we sort of went through that a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. It's said by Kennedy, and he says, I'm not going to try to do an accent this time. Oh. <laughs> There's something, immo- maybe I will. There's something immoral about abandoning your own judgment. It's a good quote. It's a quote. So my favorite quote is from Adelaide Stevenson. It is from the, his big moment in the UN. Mm-hmm. And he says, I want to ask one simple question, Mr. Ambassador. Do you deny that the Soviet Union has placed and is placing missiles in Cuba? Don't want, wait for the translation. Yes or no? Sure. That's a good choice. Yeah. All right. Well, now it is time for our ratings mm-hmm. from one to ten martinis. One being an absolutely terrible movie. Ten being the best movie we've ever seen. <laughs> what do we think about 13 Days? All right. So as a general movie, I really liked it. But as a, definitely during the first half of it, I'm realizing there's not that much spy action here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, I liked, but, you know, towards the second half and to the end, you know, you have, well, I guess it starts with the U-2 flight, sure. 
but then you get you know, the other YouTube planes going over and the low level fl- surveillance and the back channels. Like I found it interesting, like with back channels and the top so- Soviet uh, spy. So I'm gonna give this a a six out of ten. Okay, this movie is hard to rate. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have any really big highs or any. So like just in comparison to Munich, because that's what we saw last time. Right. Last time is that it didn't have these big sweet operation stuff but Mm -hmm. it also didn't have things that really annoyed me a lot (laughs) all right that being said it is things that i'm really into history Mm -hmm. big personalities it i was never bored while watching it Mm -hmm. that really helps so i will give it a good rating of seven out of ten all right oh this was we're switching it up a little bit you're giving some higher raters than me yeah, I feel like maybe I've been a little too harsh with movies <laughs> in the past. I'm trying to make up for that. Well, thank you for joining us in part one of our Cold War Spies series. You can find us on social media at the Spy Fi Guys under Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the Spy Fi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.